You're listening to the seven-part sermon series, Burning Questions, taught by Pastor Ryan Couch at Calvary Chapel of Crook County. Over our seven-part series, we'll be providing biblical answers to your most asked questions. Let's join Pastor Ryan now. Hey guys, good to see you tonight. Welcome to the seventh and final installment of our Burning Questions uh, series. Uh, It's been a lot of fun. And tonight we're going to talk about some questions related to the end times, or what is called eschatology, the study of the end times. And so I want to talk a little bit about um, the three major views of the end times, and, and then the, there, there's, there's three kind of sub-views of, of one of those views and we'll talk about those tonight. And uh, we may address a few other things, and then I'll open it up for you guys. If you have questions related to eschatology, related to the end times, the return of Christ, which is, of course, always um, the most sought-after teaching. You know, when a, when a pastor teaches through the book of Revelation, uh, people seem to, to flock to that or... If you put those teachings up on the internet, they're, they're the most listened to. Uh, people are enamored with and, and really sort of uh, drawn to the, the study of and the, the idea of the return of Christ. And unfortunately, there's a lot of hype about it. Unfortunately, uh, there, there's a lot of uh, conjecture uh, about it. And a lot of things that I just think are absolutely... Uh, ridiculous on on the one hand and unbiblical for sure. Uh, you know there there was a whole series of fiction books um, that probably should have been about four or five books and you know turned into what is what is it 187 or whatever. Uh, you know what was the series called? You know Tim LaHaye and Left Behind. Left Behind yes, Left Behind. You're you know it's it's um, it's appealing and it's it's intriguing uh, to many. And uh, we'll talk about some of those things tonight. So, three views, three major views of the end times. Postmillennialism, premillennialism, and amillennialism. Postmillennialism, we'll start with that. Uh, mainly because it's a view that, despite R.C. Sproul's attempt to resurrect the view and to really uh, bring it into the 21st century, uh, it's a view that really died out several hundred years ago. Uh, it was a view that was very, very popular in the Middle Ages. Uh, Augustine was a, a post-millennialist, uh, as were most people uh, in that time. He, he kind of uh, really uh, was a proponent of it. Uh, post-millennialism basically believes that through our evangelism as a church, as the body of Christ, as we lead people to Christ, that we will actually usher in the, the return of Christ, and that he will set up his kingdom on the earth. They do believe that, that there will be a literal kingdom of, of God on the earth for an inordinate amount of time, not, not a set amount of time. But they, they do believe in a, in a literal reign of Christ. But it comes as a result of us leading people to Christ in such mass numbers in, in basically redeeming the world and making the world a better place, that, that finally Jesus comes and he sets his kingdom down on a peaceful, tranquil world that 
is following after him. That's, that's the gist of post-millennialism. The reason it was popular is because at that time, Christianity, or at least what was referred to as Christianity, dominated the world. It dominated the world at that time in the Middle Ages. And Jesus was believed upon by most people. Now, we could get into all of the ramifications of whether that was truly the church and, and truly, uh, you know, the, a gospel-centered message that was being preached. Uh, but we won't get into that tonight. But, but Jesus was, was on the lips of a lot of people and Jesus was believed upon by a lot of people. And, and basically, you didn't really have much of a choice. The church, the Catholic church at that time, uh, kind of dominated things. And it seemed to make sense. Jesus is just going to come and he's going to set down his kingdom upon this world. Well, as the world changed and as people became more and more opposed to God, and as new religions cropped up and people began to worship false gods and, and, and the world changed, post-millennialism just didn't really make sense anymore. I mean, it just wasn't pragmatic. It, it didn't really fit with what you saw outside your window. And so it kind of just really disappeared. Uh, R.C. Sproul, who I think is a, is a, a good brother, I disagree with him on a, a number of, of points of theology, um, but he is a post-millennialist. He, he, he's one that's trying to, uh, to resurrect it today. Premillennialism is a belief that I hold to, uh, many evangelicals hold to, and premillennialism uh, basically teaches that, that Jesus Christ um, will return before the millennium, and he will set up his kingdom on the earth for a literal thousand years. And, and they base that, uh, we would base that upon uh, scriptures like Revelation chapter 20 uh, that talk about a thousand year reign of Christ. Uh, in, in Revelation, uh, there's a lot of numbers used, and, and we would take those literally, that it doesn't speak symbolically of just an inordinate amount of time, but it, it is a literal thousand years. So Jesus is going to come back before the millennium. He's going to set up his kingdom on the earth for a literal thousand years. That's the essence of premillennialism. Then there is what's called amillennialism. I'm sure you're familiar that if you, if you insert an A into uh, the, the Greek language, it, it basically nullified what came after it. And so an agnostic is one that basically doesn't believe in knowledge. A gnosko, an agnostic. An agnostic. They, they don't believe that we can have a knowledge about God. There's atheist. They, they believe that God doesn't exist. Theism is the belief in God. Atheism is the fact that God doesn't exist. Well, an amillennial belief is, is a, a belief that the millennium, that is a thousand-year reign of Christ on the earth, literal thousand-year reign of Christ, does not exist. The amillennialist does not believe in a literal thousand-year reign of Christ. In fact, they believe it's very symbolic, and they actually symbolize much prophecy. Um, they, they don't believe that a thousand years means a thousand years. It just sort of stands for uh, a, a period of time. They actually 
uh, don't believe that Jesus is going to come and set up his, his kingdom on the earth at all. That he's going to return, he's going to judge the world, and he's going to, to usher us straight into eternity. And they believe that, that some of the verses that we might hold to and why we believe in the millennium are obscure and they're ambiguous and, and, and they don't think that there's enough support for, for that belief system. And so the amillennialist denies a literal thousand-year reign of Christ, and they really allegorize much prophecy. Um, I used to be kind of, you know, just not making fun of amillennialists, but I, I just didn't understand where they were coming from. I, I basically had the idea and the notion that they didn't take the Bible seriously. But I've, I've had the opportunity to meet some and to dialogue with some and and, and I've kind of changed my, my views on, on them. I, I think they love Jesus. I think they, they believe in his return. They just don't see it uh, quite the way that I do and, and, and maybe the way you do. Uh, they don't interpret uh, the scriptures the same, and that's okay. Um, and so those are, those are the basic three beliefs about eschatology, about end times. Pretty much everything fits into those Three categories postmillennialism, premillennialism, and amillennialism. Now, under premillennialism, there are three subgroups that maybe you're more familiar with. And, and actually, um, there, there's probably more like five subgroups. We'll talk about those. There, there's premillennialists believe that Jesus will come back before the millennial, millennium, he'll set up his kingdom on the earth and he'll rule and reign for a thousand years. But we also believe that before that, there is this period of time called the Great Tribulation, a seven-year period in which God is pouring out his wrath on a Christ-rejecting world. Now, every premillennialist believes that. Nobody denies that Jesus is... Coming back, none of them would deny a literal thousand-year reign of Christ. None of them would deny a literal tribulation. What they do deny is when does the rapture fit into that, and is there really a such thing as a rapture? The rapture is not the second coming, but it's a snatching away. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17, uh, the, the, the Greek word, Harpazo, translated into the Latin as raptus, and then into English as rapture. We, we hold to the belief that the church will be raptured off of the planet before the tribulation. That's called pre-tribulational theology. That Jesus, that God will rapture, that God will take away the church before the tribulation. And there's, there's many different scriptures and, and different reasons for that belief. Uh, one would be 1 Thessalonians 5.9, Romans 5.9 says that God has not appointed us to wrath and that, that we aren't subject to the wrath of God. And, and there's many, many verses and, and reasons why uh, that, that many, including myself, hold to a pre-tribulational eschatology under the, the heading of premillennialism. There's also what's called post-tribulationalism. They're still premillennial, but they're post-tribulational. 
And so they believe that Jesus won't come back to set up his kingdom on the earth until after the seven-year tribulation. And so we're going to, as a church, go through the tribulation. We're going to endure all of the wrath of God. We're going to endure all of the cataclysmic upheavals that Revelation chapter 6 through 19 detail for us. We're going to endure all of that. And then at the end of that, Jesus is going to come back. He's going to set up his kingdom. Now, there's also mid-tribulational theology. You could probably figure it out. They're premillennial, but they believe that Jesus will come back in the middle of the tribulation to set up his kingdom and, and to actually to, to rapture the church in the middle and, and then quickly uh, come back to, to set up his kingdom actually is, is what they believe. In the middle, they have reasons for that. Uh, some of the trumpets and, and coordinating the trumpets that the last trump and that Jesus will come back and they, they tie that into the seven trumpets which kind of take place there in the middle of the tribulation and they, they have reasons for why they believe what they believe. Tenuous, I think, but they have reasons. Uh, there's a, another belief system um, that, that is basically, um, it, it's, it's a conditional rapture. It basically believes that Jesus is going to rapture the faithful. That he's going to rapture those that are really walking with Christ. That those that are truly living for him, they will be raptured before the tribulation. And then everybody else will suffer through the tribulation. And, and you could really, you know, get into the um, implications of that. And that's really more about soteriology, about salvation, than it is about eschatology, if you think about it. It's a belief um, about who really is a Christian. And, and I kind of agree with that theory to a certain extent, that there are many people who think they are Christians who are not, that will not be raptured. But this, this idea that it's about works and, and that God is only going to rapture those that are really solid, I mean, you get into legalism uh, when, you, when you start talking uh, about that. There's a fifth view uh, that is a, a, a newer uh, view in eschatology, um, and it, newer at least in uh, title and, and in prevalence, and it, it's called pre-wrath. And it's very similar uh, to, to pre-tribulational in that they don't believe that the church will endure the wrath of God. They don't believe that the church is subject to the wrath of God and that we will endure the, the wrath portion of the great tribulation. That we will actually be raptured out of what would be called the time of Jacob's trouble or the great tribulation, we'll be raptured from that, but we will be subject to the beginning of the tribulation, which they believe is not the wrath of God, but the wrath of Satan. And, and that he's pouring out his wrath upon the church and persecuting the church, and certainly the church is subject to persecution. And so why, why would we be taken away from that when the church has been persecuted from the very beginning? And, and so they don't necessarily have a specific time like the middle of the tribulation, but they, they believe that there's a, a point after the seal judgments where the, the judgment turns from Satan's wrath to God's wrath. So th those are basically the five subcategories under what's referred to as premillennialism. And 
there has been division and fighting and anger over these issues for thousands of years, for at least the history of the church. And certainly in the last hundred years, as eschatology has really risen in its importance in the, the theology of the church after the regathering of the nation of Israel in, in 1947. That there was really a, um, just a sense of urgency about these things. And people began to really uh, formulate more of a theology about the end times uh, after that because a lot of things didn't make sense, especially from the Old Testament prophecies of, of Israel being a nation again and how is this going to work, you know. And I mean, Mark Twain went to Israel in the, in the 1800s and said it was a barren wasteland. And how in the world is, is, are these prophecies going to come to pass that Israel is going to be a nation again? That a temple will be built, that, that there will be a ruler there, that, that there, there, there will be flourishing of, of an economy and of, of produce and, and all of these things that the Old Testament talks about. And they're just like, what in the world? And, and it really sort of confused them in their eschatology all the way around into the New Testament. And when you read commentators like H.A. Ironside, who, who's a great commentator until he starts writing about the end times. And it's like worthless, you know. And he wrote in the early 20s, uh, the, the early part of the 20th century. And, and his eschatology is just like, what in the world? His commentary on Daniel and Revelation, um, just, just kind, of, kind of confusing really because they, they allegorize so much of these texts that they didn't understand. And that's why when you, when you think about some of the old writers, the Puritans and, and some of the guys from the Great Awakening like Spurgeon and others, they didn't write a lot about eschatology. And it was because uh, it was just confusing to them. And then after Israel's regathering, things just sort of clicked into place. And then all of a sudden you, you had these subgroups uh, that, that formulated under the, the premillennial heading and they began to fight and to bicker and to divide amongst themselves. And it really is, uh, is a tragedy, I think. Um, somebody had asked, uh, I'll address this. Somebody had asked about the 144,000. If you look in your Bibles in Revelation chapter 7, you see that God sort of calls out and seals and separates 12,000 Israelites from the 12 tribes. 12,000 from the 12 tribes, 144,000. And there's been a lot of discussion about who the 144,000 are and how do they fit in. We find them in the midst of the Great Tribulation. So some people who maybe are post-tribulational or believe that, that we are as a church in the midst of the tribulation, they believe this is the church. They believe that it's symbolic of the church, that it really isn't 144,000, literally it's just a, a number that represents the church. I don't understand why God would get into such specifics if it isn't really what he's referring to. You know, why talk about all of these tribes in, in 12,000 from each and 144,000 and then carry that uh, number into chapter 14 as well? 
I just am one that takes the Bible literally unless I'm given really good reason not to, like when God describes himself as a chicken. Then, then I know that, that I don't take that literally. And that's good uh, hermeneutics. But when given reason to believe in the literal sense of the word, I think we should. But there are many that believe that this is more allegorical. The Jehovah's Witnesses for many years believed that they were the 144,000 until their numbers grew beyond 144,000. Then they scrambled to figure out how to cover themselves. And, and they said, well, um, the, the first 144,000, the original 144,000 Jehovah's Witnesses are sealed and set apart and they will actually inherit a, a higher heaven. The rest of us, you know, the rest of the Jehovah's Witnesses get to live on a redeemed earth and then everybody else, including you and I, we perish and we go back to the dirt. But they believe they were the 144,000 and so did a, a bunch of other groups. But who are they? Well, I think there's some ambiguity. Um, I, I hear oftentimes people say that there are 144,000 Billy Grahams that are going to roam the earth preaching the gospel. I mean, it sounds cool, but I don't, I don't see that. I don't see that scripturally, so I, you'll never hear me say that. I, I, don't, I don't know that that's true. If it is, it's kind of cool. But they are set apart, and they are redeemed. Uh, they are sealed. They are protected. They, they do have a special place in this economy, this dispensation. But what exactly that is, I don't know. Um, they... They are described a little bit more in chapter 14. Then I looked, and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his father's name written on their foreheads. I heard a voice from heaven like the voice of many waters, like the voice of loud thunder. I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. They sang, as it were, a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures. And the elders, and no one could learn that song except 144,000 who were, who were redeemed from the earth. And so these, there's these separate groups. There's the four living creatures. There's the, the elders, the 24 elders around the throne. There's the innumerable host of angels that are constantly singing praises to God. There's this group of martyred saints in the tribulation that chapter 5 talks about. The, the, and then there's this 144,000. These are the ones who were not defiled with women, so they're virgins, they're, they're celibate, for they are virgins. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These were redeemed, set apart from among men, being first, fir, f, first fruits to God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no deceit, so they don't lie, there, there's no deception in them. For they are without fault. And so they're faultless before the throne of God. And what exactly they do and, and their purpose isn't, isn't really given. But I believe that they are literally Jewish people who are set apart from the 12 tribes. Literally 12,000 from each tribe. And they'll have a special place in the tribulation. And, and maybe it will be to preach the gospel. Maybe it will be to lead what I believe will be a revival in Israel and that many will come to Christ during the great tribulation, maybe that's possible and maybe that's their purpose. Uh, but we're given some specific details about them, but then there are many details that are left out about them. 
And so what I say is when the Bible's silent, I'm silent. If God didn't choose to give me the information, then I don't really need to have it. And so we, we could discuss many, many things about eschatology and about the end times. Um, but maybe there's some questions that you have and we can address some specific things that, that are on your minds tonight rather than talking about things that you don't care about. <laughs> so what, uh, and maybe you're thinking that's what you've been doing for the last 25 minutes. <laughs> but I, I wanted to give you guys just kind of an overview. And I know it's kind of theological and it's kind of informational, but I, I hope that helps you to kind of wrap your mind around these different uh, ideas and viewpoints. So any, any questions? Uh, one thing I don't want to do, you guys, is get into debating or uh, into uh, arguing about these things. And not that I think we would, but I certainly don't want to. And um, I, I've had a, a, a lot of um, growing in this area. And I used to be just so staunch in my opinions about eschatology. And, and I've come to really just be humbled and I've come to a place where I'm, I'm confused on a lot of these things. And I just, when, when people want to argue, I just say, you know what, man, you're right. You're right, because I, I don't know. You're, you're as right as anybody else. And so maybe some questions. Um, maybe we can reserve comments uh, for, for a little bit. Let's try to address uh, some questions uh, initially here. Diana? Yeah, you're talking about the Antichrist. And, and the question is, what, is, there, is there a resurrection of Satan? Is there um, kind of an appearance of Satan in, in the end times? And Satan will fill the Antichrist like the Holy Spirit fills a Christian. And, and Satan will, will be working through this human instrument, right? And, and there's a lot of questions about, well, who is the Antichrist, and where does he come from, and, and when, and uh, when does he uh, come into the picture? Is it before the rapture? Is it after the rapture? You know, there's a lot of questions about that, but I think what you're referring to is the Antichrist. There's also, uh, in, in uh, Revelation uh, chapter 20, uh, there's the, the binding of Satan for a thousand years, and then he's loosed, and, and I believe that, that during the millennium, when when uh, we are ruling and reigning with Christ on the earth, that Satan will be bound for that thousand years, and then he will be released at the end of it to, to bring temptation uh, to those that have been living in the, in the millennium. And, and that sadly and amazingly, he will lead uh, many people with him in rebellion to God. So you may be thinking of that as well. Uh, that's that's a different time frame uh, after the millennium, and Revelation 20 talks about that. Mark, did you have a question? Were you raising your hand? No? Just stretching a minute ago? Okay. Mark? So the mark of the beast, is, is it a literal marking on the body, or is it something that is inserted into the body, a barcode or some kind of computer chip? Um, I don't know. I mean, it, it says it's going to be a mark on the forehead, on the hand, uh, with our technology today, it, it, it would seem that it could very easily be like a computer chip. Uh, that would seem to make sense to me. Of course, the old, you know, movies, A Thief in the Night, you know, had it like this kind of tattoo kind of thing or whatever. And um, I, I think it'll probably be more discreet than that. Uh, but 
they're going to know who has it and who doesn't because those that don't will be martyred. So there's going to be a way to know, and there's going to be uh, a punishment for not taking it for sure. So, you know, right. Yeah, I personally believe that there, there will be people coming to Christ during that time. Now, there's differences of opinion on that. Uh, the mark of the beast will be during that seven-year period, and it, and it will be part of the, the Great Tribulation. Does that answer your question, Tammy? Okay. So Jewish people, are they favored, and in the end times, do they get a second chance? Do they get uh, almost a priority in, in the end times? The Bible does say that the Jewish people are the apple of God's eye. Uh, are they favored? I think that's, a, that's an interesting question. Um, and I would have to say no, that I don't, I don't like that word favored. But are they, have they been chosen? Um, are they special in, in, their, um, in the way that God's dealt with them? I would say yes, for sure. I mean, it's just so clear biblically. But God loves everyone equally. And I believe that, that God chose the Jews to, to be glorified through and, and to show really in a microcosm of what he wanted to do on the entire earth and that um, th- they, were, they were a part of his plan. And, and they were uh, the one that, they were the people that Jesus came through. Uh, and and they, were, they, they were set apart uh, for the messianic line. But in the end times, uh, the premillennialists who are pre-tribulational believe that the church is going to be raptured out of the way, right? We're no longer part of the equation on the earth. We're in heaven. And now God will begin to deal with Israel once again. But not any differently than he's dealt with anyone ever. But they will be given an opportunity to, uh, to confess Christ the same way the church did. And what I see in, in my understanding of Revelation, in my understanding of places like Zechariah, there, there's a passage there that talks about these things, um, that, that there will be a revival in, in the nation of Israel. But not different in that somehow they're going to be saved in a unique way, because that would be heresy. I believe that they will be saved by the blood of Christ the same way that anyone else is and that Jewish people are coming to Christ today. And so it isn't so much that it's just about Israel, but because um, they, they had a special part of God's plan, he's doing something unique with, with them there at the end. And my interpretation of Daniel chapter 9 is that there's 70 periods of seven years that God has uh, given for the nation of Israel. My opinion and, and again, this is not gospel truth, and, and many people disagree with me. But my opinion is that of those 490 years, 70 periods of seven years, that 483 of them have already been fulfilled up until the time of Christ. Now there are seven years left that, that the angel Gabriel said to Daniel, would be determined for your people, right? You can look in Daniel chapter 9. He didn't say for anyone else. He said for your people, Daniel, 70 periods of seven years. 483 of which I believe have been fulfilled. Seven years have not. Those seven years are the tribulation where God will deal with Israel once again. Now again, 
there's people that laugh at that belief and think it's, um, they call it the gap theory and, and, and a lot of other things and, and be, you know, laugh at it, do what you want with it. Um, it, it makes sense to me. I, I like it, but you know, many people don't. So does that, does that kind of help as far as Israel and, 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 you know, Israel and the church is, is huge in eschatology. And I believe that if you don't get Israel right, it will mess up all of your eschatology. Yeah. There's some, you know, some obscure kind of verses that that could be referring to the United States, uh, kind of speaking of colonies of Great Britain, which we would certainly fit under that. Um, But, you know, uh, the Bible doesn't really talk about um, a lot of specific nations at the end. You know, there's going to be some that are instrumental in warring against Israel. And, and maybe the reason why the United States isn't mentioned is because we won't be a part of that. Um, you know, and so, uh, you know, Canada isn't mentioned either, you know. And, but it, it may fall under that, that same kind of thing about Great Britain or, you know, Mexico or these nations in South America. You know, there, there's many places not, not really spoken of. And what will happen with all of, of us, I, I don't exactly know, but uh, it does seem... Um, you know, kind of curious that the most powerful nation in the world is, at, right now is not mentioned, but I, I think that that ought to speak to the fact that God's not real impressed either, you know. So, so yeah, any, any other questions relating to that? I don't know about, I don't know about seven nations. I, I'm not familiar with that. Um, group, the question is about um, grouping in the end times nations in, into seven different categories or something. I, I'm not familiar with that. I've never heard about that. But I do, uh, you know, uh, there, there is this uh, one world government, one world religious system, and maybe that's kind of where you're going with it. Uh, does anybody, has anybody heard of seven groupings of nations? Anybody familiar with that? Oh, yeah, yeah, and then there's the seven, um, right? Yeah, I, I, I guess I could, I, I could see. I, yeah, do, and what, what do they say about that? Um, as far as the ten and the seven, right? Yeah, okay, yep. Um, and kind of referring to the whole one world thing, right? Yeah, I, I, okay, I'm, I'm with you now. Um, it's not so much seven categories as it is maybe ten, a ten-nation configuration, a confederation that will, will sort of be um, gathering together in the end against Israel. Three break off and seven uh, stay together. And that, that comes out of Daniel. And, and it's, you know, it's a lot of, of buildup on, on some things that maybe are confusing um, but but it kind of it kind of makes a little bit of sense. You could read about it in Daniel, um, you know. So I I kind of I, I kind of get get where you're going with that. And you guys have any more insight on that at all? How about some comments? Maybe there's more questions. But if you have a, a comment you want to make, Blaine. The 24 elders is, is a group of people in the, in the book of Revelation that there's a lot of divergent views upon. Uh, some people believe that it represents Israel and the church. 
12 tribes of Israel, the 12 apostles. The 12 tribes of Israel represent Israel. The 12 apostles represent the church. Uh, It's possible. Kind of makes sense a little bit. Uh, You know, beyond that, I don't really have uh, any idea. Um, maybe, Maybe some others have more insight on that than I do. I, that's, that's kind of what I've always been taught, but I would never write a book about it or die on that hill, that's for sure. Any, any other insight on the 24 elders? You guys are just filled with help here. But that's, that's kind of the, the common belief there, Blaine. You, you asked, like, do they come out of the tribulation? Right. If they are twelve, if they are the twelve apostles and the twelve, tri- um, you know, tribes of Israel, the patriarchs of those tribes, then, then of course they they're all dead already. Unless you're really whacked and you believe the twelve apostles are still alive, and there's people that believe that. Um, but. Uh, you know, they're all dead, so I guess they would already be there, you know. It, I guess it would depend on how you define who, who they are um, and, and what they are. Jen? Uh, question is, like, we keep hearing that the tribulation is near, that Jesus' return is, is close. Um, I don't know. You know, I think we see signs. The Bible says, when you, when you see uh, signs of my coming, look up for your redemption draws close. You know, uh, the Bible talks about that, that you know, you can kind of tell uh, the time it, of the year it is by, by the weather patterns. And, and that you, you can figure that out. So you ought to be able to figure out that, that my return is close when you see these things happening. The, these things that the Bible talks about and, and things that are leading up to the end times. You know, things that have to kind of fall into place. And I think certainly we're seeing a lot of those things. Um, but am I going to get all like hyped about it and, you know, do like week-long uh, conferences about it and, and get everybody freaked out that, you know, the, the world is, is collapsing around us? Uh, probably not. It's just not, not my style. Um, I'm not one to uh, get, just get hyped about anything really. Uh, and, and the... And, and I'll say this, a lot of guys in the Calvary Chapel movement, I mean, they, we have prophecy conferences. Um, we, we have uh, guys in our movement that, that's, that seem to be able to weave the rapture into every conceivable verse in the Bible. Um, and I just, I don't see it, you know. Uh, I think it's certainly uh, a theme. I think it's certainly a, an important topic. But should it be like all that we talk about and, and should it be just like the, the, the theme of every message? Jesus should be in his return. We're excited about it and it's our hope. But should we like lose sight of, of what God's called us to do here in light of that, you know? Because we're so focused on the fact that he might return, that we, we aren't focused on the ministry that he's given us today. And, I, and I'm not saying that that people that are focused on his return all the time are doing that. Nor am I saying that we shouldn't be waiting because we should, and it's biblical. But I don't think we should twist every verse and make every Bible study fit into that 
kind of understanding. Um, but I do think he, his return could come at any time. I believe that. I believe it could be tonight. I believe it could be tomorrow. I don't think there's anything in the way of Jesus Christ coming. It's called the imminent return of Christ. It could be today. It could be a hundred years from now. It, it could be further than that. If I was going to guess, and, and I don't really like to do that in, the, in regard to the end times, if I was going to say, is it close? Yeah, I think it is. And, but people believe that in Paul's day too, you know. Um, and I think that we have to uh, live in that expectancy that he could return at any time. And that's why if we're looking for the Antichrist or we're looking for some sign, then we've got our eyes in the wrong place. We should be looking for Jesus Christ, not the Antichrist. And, and I believe that we should be focused on Jesus and not upon some obscure uh, eschatology viewpoint, you know, either. So, Frank? Yeah, yeah, I absolutely agree with that for sure. Live as if uh, he could come at any time. Uh, prepare as if you're going to live your your entire life and 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 make your life count for eternity. You know, Tammy, I don't think so. Um, I'm trying to remember. The question is like, were we given the option to have a, a ID chip put in Carson when he was born, my son? Um, we're trying to be better about getting the questions on here, so that's why you're hearing them twice. But, uh, no, I don't remember that, but maybe so. Definitely my dog, you know, we get offered that. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, I think that's part of the whole hype crew, the, the hype brigade. You know, if you put a chip, even if you put one in your kid, is that analogous to taking the mark of the beast? Absolutely not. It's all your heart. You know what I mean? It's nothing to do with putting an ID chip in your child. Now, is it a good thing to do? I probably wouldn't do it. It seems kind of weird. But, you know, is it analogous to taking the mark of the beast? It just makes us look kind of stupid, I think. You know what I mean as Christians when we get freaked out about that kind of stuff? I wouldn't personally. But I, don't, I wouldn't tell somebody. It's, I have friends that believe if you use an ATM card, that that's like taking the mark of the beast. It's like, are you kidding me? You know, um, because it's got a barcode on it and you can, you know, track yourself all over the world. And so it's an ID. I think we're smarter than that, you know. Diana? Yeah. The the internet and is it a sign of the end times? Absolutely, because all of a sudden we can communicate all around the world in an instant. Never before were we able to do that, and so it makes some of these things that seem kind of far fetched in the Bible. One world religion. How how are you going to do that? One world economy. How? All of a sudden, those things kind of make sense. You know, you can communicate with the whole world via the internet in an instant. You know, you can put videos up. And, and so if the Antichrist is, you know, leading the entire world, he, he could have himself uh, viewed by the entire world by just putting up a video, um, you know, instantly. So I think, I think absolutely. In, any other comments or questions? Kind of surprised we don't have... Blaine, you had another question that I, I remember getting, and, I, and we, I didn't address it tonight. Do you remember? Not really. 
That's right. Yeah. Some people believe that Moses will be one of the two witnesses. This is another group of people that is argued about who they are in the in the great tribulation. Um, some people believe it's it's Mo, Moses who represents the law and Elijah, Elijah that represents the prophets and kind of sums up you know uh, Jewish history, if you will, in the Jewish scriptures. And they will go and they will be more representation uh, of the gospel to the nation of Israel during that time. And and they also believe that, that they were the two that appeared with Christ, uh, you know, on, on the mount. And so it makes uh, sense that they, they would be the two witnesses. They also have um, interesting deaths. The Bible says that God buried Moses. That seems kind of interesting, right? There's this war that was going on over the body of Moses. We know that Elijah never died, that he was just taken up, right? And so there's some that believe that, that Moses really didn't die either. And that's why it says that, that God just kind of took him and, and buried him in heaven or whatever. And, and I'm not saying I believe that. This is just what some people teach. And, and that, that they're going to be the two witnesses. And, you know, there's some, there's some uh, interesting ideas there. Definitely intriguing. And, you know, why does it say God buried Moses? You know, why is there this war over the body of Moses? Um, Again, I wouldn't be writing books about it, but uh, people people seem to teach on it for hours on end, you know, about that particular subject. It's like, wow, a lot smarter than me. Well, maybe we can close with, with worship, you guys. Um, I, I hope you guys have enjoyed this series. I, I hope it's been uh, edifying to you and a blessing to you. I, I hope you've received from it and... If you have further questions, don't hesitate to, to drop them in the box or uh, to email us, you know, uh, email me or, or one of the leaders from, from the website if, if you'd like to. Uh, I'd, I'd love to, to answer uh, any questions that you have in the future. And, and my encouragement to you is just get into the Word. Let the Word get into you. And, and, and these questions a lot of times will just sort of answer themselves and and the more that you read and study the Bible, it, it's kind of like things just all of a sudden click into place. And, and it's like the pieces uh, begin to come together and a mosaic is formed. Uh, where, where initially, you know, it was all these little pieces and, and, and they, they started to be put together and, and they begin to make sense uh, to you as God gives you wisdom. So let's stand and pray together and we'll close with some worship. You've been listening to Pastor Ryan Couch of Calvary Chapel, Crook County. For more information, you can write to us at P.O. Box 378, Prineville, Oregon 97754. Thanks for listening, and God bless.